Hello there. My name is Shirley Fisher, and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016, so I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast. Are you feeling inspired and eager to make content of you working on your artwork from an overhead viewpoint? You know the one. Your hands are gracefully making brush strokes or you're fulfilling an order with beautiful packaging. But how can you achieve that? Allow me to introduce you to Canvas. Canvas is an overhead lamp and a smartphone holder with incredibly versatile positioning and is absolutely beautiful. Anytime I need to video something or take a picture hands-free, Canvas comes to the rescue. Use the code TILLAGE10 to get 10% off your Canvas lamp today. You can find that link right here in the description below or head on over to the Tillage podcast in today's show notes. Well, hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining me on the Tillage podcast today. I'm super thrilled to have you here, but also for you to unpack this word wonder and what it means to you and how we can incorporate that in our life. But before we jump in, I want you to share your history as a creative, as a full-time artist, kind of where you started, where you are now, all of the winding paths. I would love to hear all about it. Oh, thank you. I love that you're starting with that and that your community is is so much about the creative life, whether they're doing it professionally or not, but just like building that into our lives as as part of our well-being, as part of our our path. And that has always been my passion. Like my dream for so long when I was in my early 20s was I want to make a living from my creative life. That was the only thing that I knew. And maybe that's the only thing I knew because it actually has changed so many times over the last sort of 30 years. So when I started, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a painter. I love painting. I've been doing it since I was a kid. That's going to be my whole thing. And for a long time, that was my thing. And then at some point, personal growth started being this really big part of my life. I ended up being mentored by Sark. She's an author and artist. And there's a whole kind of magical story in my book about how I met her. But she really showed me what it was to live, not only live her creative life and have this really thriving business, but she was 1000% herself. And she was doing things that I'd never seen anyone else do that was a quote unquote professional in that world. And so I remember the first time I saw one of her books, I thought, first I was really jealous and I thought, oh my God, she's writing my books. These are my books. And she's written (laughs) written them out. And so my first thought was just like jealousy. And then my second thought was, if books can look like this, then I can write one too. And at the time, what she was doing was very unusual. They were all handwritten. They were all, they looked like intimate visual journals of hers. They were illustrated and, you know, and she was telling really intimate stories from her life. And it wasn't a big sort of narrative book. It was 
just very personal, like you were dropping in at her house and she was showing you her diaries, that kind of thing. And that just completely shifted the trajectory of my life. And I ended up working with her when I moved to San Francisco, ended up doing a lot of design work for her, designing her licensed gift collection, greeting cards and all of that, doing a lot of book production for her. And so I really started to understand like, oh, this is how you make money as an artist. There's like all these different ways to do it. In her case, it was licensing, it was books, it was events, it was speaking, it was all that kind of stuff. And even though not all of that resonated for me, she showed me a a, a path and a blueprint. And then I eventually went on and kind of made my own, you know, cobbled together my own pathway. Okay. Is Wonder Seeker your first book? Yeah. So, okay. So Wonder Seeker, my very first book, it came out when I turned 50 last year. So the path was wiggly as it always is. So anyone who's listening, who's like, I'm still wiggling along, not quite (laughs) sure what's happening. I was a jewelry designer for a long time. I was a photographer. Then I got a life coaching certification and I started teaching e-courses and then I was teaching e-courses about photography. Like I have done so many things and I still do so many things. And I'm what you call a feaster. I like to feast on the banquet of life and I don't ever pick just one thing. And yeah, so this book dream that I, that I did have ever since that moment when I found Sark's books was finally born when I turned 50. I love that. There's a lot of wigglers that do listen to the podcast because I see that in my journey. I'm still, you know, sampling the buffet, if you will. And I think a lot of people can definitely see themselves in that story. So I love your winding path. And this book, Wonder Seeker, that's kind of where we're going to focus our time and attention to this topic of wonder today. And I would love for you first to share just simply like what your personal definition is of wonder. And then what does a wonder seeker look like? Yeah, I love that you're starting with what is wonder because we think we know what things are, what they mean. And actually, it's a really interesting question. And when I was writing the book, I was asking myself, okay, what is wonder and how do we create better conditions for wonder, this wonderful emotion to arise in us? So first, my experience of wonder is this sort of wide-eyed delight when we experience something that is new to our eyeballs or our experience, when it is beautiful, when it is inspiring or awesome. You know, sometimes awe can feel scary. I think of wonder as maybe there's a little bit of awe, but there's really not any fear. It's mostly delight. And, you know, we, we often find it in nature. That's, those are the easiest examples that I can start with. You know, we see the night sky for the first time on a camping trip. Maybe we live in the city and there's light pollution and we've never really seen the stars. And we're like, oh my God, it's like a full body, right? Like you can remember that feeling. It's like your whole heart kind of explodes open and your eyes get wide and maybe you get chills and there's this reverence for life that comes up in your body and this gratitude and maybe curiosity and 
there's, it's just like this full body experience, you know, after all these years of doing all of these creative things and blogging for, you know, 20 plus years about the creative life and all of that, I thought, okay, what is it that really ties my work together? And when I thought of a course I had led online called Cultivating Wonder, I thought, okay, so there's something about that that word and that experience of wonder that really says it for me. And it's sort of, it's like an impulse and a desire that I have to live a life that is so vibrant that I am experiencing wonder and gratitude and curiosity and even joy much of the time. Like I know people, the people I admire the most, like my godmother, for example, she's 80 now. And she is one of those people, wherever you go, she's like, oh my God, this is so (laughs) incredible. She's genuinely blown away by the most ordinary things. And she's just like, aren't we lucky? She always says to me, aren't we lucky? Look at us. We get to be here together. And it's like, that's the kind of person I want to be. And so that's sort of a long answer to your question, but yeah. That's beautiful. I was reflecting as you were talking about your godmother and just, I had a conversation with a friend who's a high school teacher and she's like, it's very interesting that the demographic that I am working with, with high schoolers, she's like, I often see so many of them chronically unimpressed. (laughs) And it was just this moment of recognizing because we live in a world that everything just seems to be bigger and better and bigger and better that we have sometimes become almost immune to things being so grand that we forget the simple things that are incredible. Mm. And so I love that about your godmother. My mom is similar in that way that she just loves to look upon beauty and just announce its existence to everybody (laughs) around her. And I love, I love that about her. So I think actually this leads into a really interesting word that you use in your book, because I just talked about this this feeling that many high schoolers have, which is chronically unimpressed. And you talk about this word in your book called counterfeit joys. And I would love for you to unpack what that means. What is a counterfeit joy and how do we experience them often in our lives? Yeah, that's a term that I'm borrowing from Francis Weller, who is a, as a poet and a writer here in the Bay Area. And what he's referring to are the things that we think will bring us joy, like, or the things we actually settle for. So we settle for the hit of dopamine that we get when we scroll on our phone. We settle for likes. We settle for status. We settle for numbing. We settle for pleasure that doesn't really nourish us instead of the real deal. And the real deal, you know, we all know what the difference is. We know what real joy is and what it feels like. And it's usually pretty simple. And it's usually a state of mind that we suddenly have access to. And I think this experience of wonder, it sort of disrupts things. Like you could be going along your life and you can be grumpy or you can be unimpressed as the teenagers are. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
whoa, it's a rainbow or whatever. <laughs> and it it interrupts that whole thing. And you've just jumped a track into another vibration, if you will. Mm-hmm. You've just jumped a track into a higher vibration where you are present, you are open, you are not cool anymore. You are in wonder, right? So I am just like everybody addicted to my phone and not exactly addicted to likes or anything, but I know what counterfeit joys are. And of course, that's part of my life too. I think it's just having an awareness of, I don't want to settle for that. I want the real deal. And how do I create more of that? Yeah. So I would love for you to unpack that then. Like, how do we find more of that? How do we make being a wonder seeker, a part of our life. And a follow-up question to that, I guess I would ask is then why is wonder worth chasing in the first place? I mean, I'm sure you kind of answered that a little bit, but I think the question would be, how do we seek wonder and why is it worth chasing? Yeah. Well, let me start with a story. So I I still have a generalized anxiety disorder and I had a panic disorder for a while. And before I was medicated for it, I just walked around San Francisco at the time where I lived very anxious all the time. And I was walking because it was the only thing that made me feel better. So if I was, yeah, I was having whatever experience I was having in my body. If I knew that if I grabbed my camera and I started walking around the neighborhood asking myself, what is beautiful and what is interesting? My nervous system would calm down after a while. I would be sort of lost in this world of beauty and visual beauty and presence. And it was a kind of meditation. It was a kind of, it was almost a kind of EMDR because there's a way that when you're walking, you're kind of stimulating those two parts of your brain. And it's almost like self EMDR I've learned. And so that was my medicine and that was my practice. And I didn't know why it was working, but I knew that it did. And so I think one thing that is available to us And some people do it through meditation. Some people do it through, you know, what I now call a wonder walk, which was what I was doing. People find it through running, you know, everyone has a different way in, but this is a very overstimulating world. It's a, a pretty complex world. It only seems to get more complex and we're having trouble metabolizing it. I think all of us are to greater or lesser degrees. And so that was that was pretty much my reason for having most of my most of my practices creative or otherwise were about managing my nervous system so that's a big reason to become a wonder seeker because it literally changes your body and your resilience and the way that you can process the world another reason is like when you experience more delight you become a more delightful person. Like, yeah. <laughs> like people are just like, I want to be around her, right? She's like, like with my godmother, I'm like, I love being around her because she's experiencing the world in a way that not everybody does. And it, I think it was hard one. I think all of us who are, you know, maybe live that way. It's not toxic positivity. It's usually hard one, right? 
And so I don't think it's easy to do it. It's not like, oh, just like, you know, put on your fairy outfit and like, whatever, (laughs) be a wonder seeker. It's like, no, it's, it's kind of, it's a muscle and it's kind of rigorous to train our brains out of the really crappy places that we go and say, no, I'm, I'm reorienting. What's, what am I experiencing in this moment? Can I go take a walk around the block and ask myself, what is beautiful? What am I not noticing? I'm only noticing what sucks. And my mind is like racing with that garbage. What else is here? So it's a training of your brain of like, what else is also here that is true? I'm so glad you pointed out that it's not this experience of dancing around in a fairy costume or this Pollyanna or Alice in Wonderland experience, but there's intentionality there and a muscle that needs to be practiced. And I think that for a lot of us, like you said, with all of this noise and this complex world that's happening, we are craving and desiring anything that can shake us out of all those negative experiences that we're feeling. And so your book, I love that you are giving prompts. So your tagline, if you wouldn't mind sharing it first, and then I would love for you to share kind of some tools or some strategies that you would think would help us to find wonder in our own lives. Yeah. Okay. So the subtitle of the book is 52 ways to wake up your creativity and find your joy. So I've offered up 52, some irreverent, some not as irreverent, but sort of quirky creative ways into this whole shift that I'm talking about of kind of jumping that track into like getting on the wonder train. Right. And so let's see here. Okay. So one of my favorite things to do, and one of the prompts is to ask someone in your life about their first experience or one of their early experiences of wonder. So Shirley, if you don't mind, could you maybe share one of yours? Oh my goodness. Well, this is putting me on the spot. I'm going to have to think just a second here. I can actually think of something right away. I remember being in elementary school and we would have these I forget what they were called, assemblies. We would have these assemblies and they would have like a guest person come and speak on something or some type of person with a trade. And I remember they brought in a potter and I must have been probably like third grade. And I remember they set up the wheel outside of the auditorium and they let each class go by this wheel with this potter throwing clay. And it was the first time I can remember seeing this in real life. Like, I don't even think I'd ever heard of the concept. And so being a third grader and walking by this potter, pulling up the clay and seeing their hands full of clay. It's so funny that that was the first thing that came to mind because I work in clay as well and now throw pottery. But that was like one of the first things that came to mind was that wonder of like, wow, you can do that with mud. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. I love that you said that. I love that. I didn't warn you that I was going to ask you that because I find it very interesting. What is that first thing that shows up for people? And it usually it's a significant moment that speaks to something in their later life. It always is in my Larry, you know, in my anecdotal sort of research around it. That's so cool. You know, 
I write about this, I think in the introduction, a friend of mine who I asked this question to, her name is Bashak. She said that her first moment of wonder was when her father on a camping trip, it must've been like really hot. I don't know. They were in the desert. I don't know where they were, but she's from Turkey. Maybe it was in Turkey. And he built a little kiln for them right there at their campsite. And they they somehow fired pottery right there when they were camping and she could not, her mind was like, right. Yeah. Like just like yours was like, what you can do that with clay. And that's how you make a bowl. And she became an industrial designer. Wow. We'll be back after this short break. The word tillage means the preparation of land for growth. I love to view my business and art practice as a place I'm actively tillaging, preparing for new growth and breakthrough. This means being intentional to quiet myself to reflect, work through my mindset, and to pull out the weeds of my limiting beliefs. Do you want to tillage a little deeper with the content I share on the Tillage podcast? I have created a vault of all the downloads in one place that you can gain access to. This includes worksheets, reflection guides, and journal prompts just for you. To gain access, look for the link in the description below or head on over to the tillagepodcast.com to find the link in today's show notes. Now back to the show. I mean, another memory that comes to mind is I got lost in Disneyland once because I was just staring at the glass blower for way too long and my family moved on. And so I think it's interesting that 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 has that correlation with our future self, too. So what's yours? Oh, I love that. Well, you know, it's it's very (laughs) ironic because I don't have a great answer to that question. I have lots of answers from my adult life. I have very few memories of childhood and I don't have a great answer to that question. But something more recent, just a couple of years ago, a friend of mine decided for her birthday that she was going to gather a bunch of people to go see the bioluminescent algae in this bay nearby, like about an hour away. And so at like 11 p.m., a huge group of us, like two in a kayak for each thing, you know, it's pitch black because it has to be a moonless night and we're rowing out into this pitch black. It was terrifying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was freezing. It was terrifying. We, we rode, I'm not a water person either, but we rode for like 45 minutes out into the middle of this bay. And then all of a sudden everything was glowing. And like every time you put your paddle in the water. It was like the water would turned into the stars and you could like pick up the water and throw it. It was like, you're throwing stars across. Oh my God. It was like, it was incredible. Yeah. Total wonder date, huge wonder date, which is one of the prompts that I offer actually is like, can you kind of engineer for wonder a little bit by saying, okay, I'm going to invite someone on a wonder date. What could that be? Maybe it's like, I'm going to invite a friend to go see the sunset tonight. That's our wonder date. Or it could be something as elaborate as, you know, as she did for her birthday party. I'm going to invite this whole crew of people to experience this really magical thing with me. I love that. I, I also love that you said that for you, you don't remember much of your childhood. So that is really hard for you to answer. And I think it gives a lot of people permission who might struggle with thinking through, like, I don't really recall a lot of wonder in my childhood, but that doesn't mean that that has to be continuing on to your 
now moment. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And I'll just name and acknowledge too. I think often people who have had a lot of trauma in their childhood don't have a lot of memories. And I'm certainly one of those people. So we get to create those memories when we get older, for sure. And we get to invite people into that. And so I love that prompt that you shared about just a wonder date and the intentionality that goes behind that. But that actually leads into a conversation I'd love to tap into with you, which is like community and fostering friendships. And I would love for you to open up the conversation with those of us who might have a hard time with like, okay, I would love to do a wonder date with somebody, but who would that be? (laughs) Maybe you find yourself in adulthood with like maybe a smaller group of friends than you would like, and you want to open that door. So would you mind just sharing what it would that look like for somebody who wants to do a wonder date, but doesn't really feel like they have a large group of people to even choose from? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I know, you know, so I just want to say too, you know, making friends in adulthood is really different. It's we're not on the playground anymore. We don't have this built-in network at school or college or wherever we are. And I think the way that our culture here in the United States is set up is pretty isolating. I remember when I became a, a new mom about 16 years ago, I felt really isolated. And even though I thought I had this big group of friends, suddenly nobody really wanted to hang out with me or, yeah. you know, or my time was really limited or like I had to be back for the nap time or whatever, you know, thing. And so, so I just want to acknowledge that like, and, and sometimes people are just like, you know, I'm shy or I'm introverted and I'm not the one who extends invitations. I'm sort of waiting for someone to invite me. And so there's all these different aspects of friendship that I'm so excited to talk about. But to your question, you know, when I thought of that prompt around like very specifically inviting someone on a wonder date, it was just someone that I was dating at the time. Like I'm a single mom and I've been, you know, dating on the dating apps. And I said to this person, okay, so I want to do an experiment. (laughs) And the experiment is, do you experience more wonder if you set that intention? And like, what if we spent the whole day in search of wonder? does it actually create more of it? Like, can we design for it? Right. And so we, you know, we designed a whole day, you know, with our wonder goggles on, (laughs) we were looking for it. (laughs) And one of the things that we noticed was that like, oh, it wasn't the moment that we arrived at the ocean and saw how blue it was. It was beautiful, but that wasn't the moment that I felt wonder. The moment I felt wonder was when, you know, it was a little chilly that day and we sat in the sand and we talked for a while. And then both of us sort of slid our hands into the sand and we realized how warm it was just like a few, like a couple feet below. And so we had this sort of like heavy sand blanket on us. (laughs) That was the moment of wonder. We were like, this is it. This is the We're tracking it, right? We're tracking the wonder. You know, that doesn't really answer your question about sort of how do we, how do we find those friends? I think when we are, I'm going to, I'm big into this whole vibration thing. So I'll just keep bring it. Bring it. (laughs) I'm all about energy, but it's so true. It's like when you're vibing high, people are like, who's that? I want to be around that. And when you are 
in that sort of wonder seeker mindset, when you've got your wonder goggles on, when you're seeing beauty, when you're experiencing the world that way, people are magnetized to you. And, you know, one of the places, so this is, this is a good example because one of the places that I'm finding the most joy, I don't know if it's wonder exactly, but definitely the most joy in my life right now is at the dog park. So I don't have a dog. This is important to note. I do not have a dog. I love dogs and I love my neighbors, but I didn't know them very well. And during COVID, I started going to the dog park near the house every night around like the magic hour, hanging out with my neighbors and hanging out with their dogs. So three years later, I still do it almost every night. And I, you know, I walk with my neighbors. We do laps around like the field and the ducks, the dogs that are more like human oriented sort of parade behind us. And the dogs that, you know, like to throw things are in the middle of the field. (laughs) And it is the funniest, like most motley crew of like humans and dogs. And we talk about what we're going to have for dinner that night. And we talk about the wordle and how hard it was that day or whatever, the colonoscopy we're going to have next (laughs) week. And it's one of the sweetest places for community and friendship. And I still don't know these, like, I don't know what these people do for work. I don't know like those sort of hard details about their lives, but we drop in every evening together. We take a walk. We enjoy the light what a pretty evening it is. We enjoy each other's company. We say goodbye. I get lots of kisses from the dogs. So I think part of finding community and finding friendship is showing up somewhere consistently and coming with kind of like, it's like claiming your own space. It's like, I wasn't invited to the dog park. I don't even have a dog. And people for a long time were like, wait, wait, where's your dog? And I'm like, oh no, I don't have a dog. They're like, wait, why are you here? (laughs) And I've gotten over thinking that's weird. And I'm embarrassed by it. I'm not at all anymore. But I think sometimes we just have to create the world that we want to live in. And I really needed company, you know, when I'm not with my kids, I mentioned I'm a single mom and I co-parent with their dad. And when I'm not with my kids, I, I work with a lot of loneliness. You know, I eat all my meals by myself, like all that kind of stuff. And this experience every evening is this little anchor that helps it like tethers me and helps me feel loved and connected. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that. And I think that so many of us, including myself, and this is a phrase I have said with lots of different friendships that I've had or felt safe in, is that it's really hard for me to take up space. And I think that you taking a stance and going, you know what? I don't have a dog, but I can belong here and I'm going to make sure that I can convince myself of that and show up every single day to this experience. And so if you are comfortable with unpacking this concept with me, taking up space, like how did you transition from, I mean, this example is just the dog park, but I I think that this is really important to kind of hone in because I think this even can tie to wonder is like allowing yourself to take up space in the universe to even embrace the beauty that it has to offer. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Are you okay going there with me? Because I think taking up space is such a deep and complicated topic. (laughs) Mm, Okay. So yes, I'm so down to go, go here with you. And one thing I'm hearing is 
Okay, so one thing it's, it's making me think about is, okay, what is the belief that I had to have about myself in order to, like I say, claim that space and that belonging in that community exactly that I didn't really belong to naturally, right? And it's very well established. Like these people have had dogs, you know, they've had dogs die. You know, they've been there for like 15 years, a lot of these people, right? And I think what it is, is that I have a general belief true or not, that people like me and want to be my friend. And I know that not everybody has that belief. Like, okay, what is that core belief? Maybe it's a self-limiting belief that you're walking through the world with. Mm -hmm. People think I'm weird. People don't really like me or it takes a long time for people to get to know me. Like we have these ideas about ourselves and how the world is. And it's likely not true, but it's definitely not true if it's a self-limiting belief. If it keeps you separate from other people, it's probably not true. Yeah. Right? And there's probably a better belief for you to reach for that can also feel true and resonant. And maybe it's not all the way to people really like me and usually want to be my friend. That might be like too much of a stretch. But maybe it's like, you know, I love being with people and I can be curious about people. Maybe you show up with your curiosity and that's very appealing. People love curious people. People who are interested become interesting people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think you going down to the core of discovering what that limiting belief is that we're attaching ourselves to, when we can get down to that root, it really does enable us to like you said, like pick a different belief that we can attach to, to push through that. Because I think that that is what holds us back from community and people. I think that we build this wall before we even get to the party because we believe we're not even supposed to be there or we won't be accepted. And I think that this happens a lot in like creative circles. Like we don't think we're good enough or we don't have enough, you know, experience behind us to be the cool art kid And I think Mm. that you really nailed it when you said like, well, let's get to the limiting belief and handle that first. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're, you're making me, you're reminding me when I was in my twenties and I would go to the art store to buy paint supplies. I was so intimidated. Like, it's so funny to say now, but I was intimidated by the people working at the art store. Like somehow I don't belong. They know I don't belong. I'm not as cool as they are. I don't really know what I'm doing, like whatever it is. And it's like, oh my God, what a waste of energy. But like, but, but right, this is what we do. And so when we can just identify like, oh, hand on heart, let's extend a little compassion. Like, oh, you feel like you don't belong. Okay. Like we have a deep primal need to belong. That is what it is to be human. One of the main things it is to be human. That's how we survive. And like, you know, I've got you, right? So I think it starts with cultivating self-compassion. I think that's one way to quiet those voices is to have a practice around loving yourself, which takes time. Like, I don't think I really felt self-love until probably my mid-40s. Hmm. That was when I really was like, oh, this is what it's like to love yourself and have your own back. Wow. Yeah. How does self-love and being a wonder seeker 
connect for you? Because I feel like there's kind of a string there Mm -hmm. because seeking wonder is actually giving us self-love because we're allowing ourselves to, as you were saying, kind of go a higher vibration. Mm. Hmm. I don't know if I have like a, a linear answer for you. One thing that's a kind of intuitive that I'm feeling though, is when I am not vigilant and anxious, I can be, so I can't be both vigilant and anxious and also be present and open and available for connection, wonder, open-heartedness, whatever. Those are kind of mutually exclusive. When I'm in my anxiety and in my vigilance, I am very unpleasant. I have a hard edge. I am very distracted and I am, I'm not in the moment or available for any of those yummy things that we've been talking about. And so I think part of me experiencing self-love for the first time was actually getting my nervous system calmed down enough through medication to soften. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the real answer. Yeah. I think that for me, like you were saying with anxiety and that hard edge, there's so much truth there of like allowing yourself to just come back down to baseline and love yourself enough to be intentional, to seek out wonder and to seek out beauty, because it can be a place that I often can feel like I have almost built this little like prison cell for myself, if that makes sense, where you can kind of like get really comfortable there. And I've felt more inspired just doing this podcast and having these incredible guests just open up my eyes to all these different perspectives and different approaches to life. And I think for me, I'm like, ooh, I am going to go on a wonder date in the next couple of weeks (laughs) because that just seems like it's going to fill my cup and make me just have a lot more self-love for myself too. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And I just to answer that question in a slightly different way, I think like the book is sort of about like reverse engineering. It's like, okay, if you tune into wonder, even with that question of like, what's a memory of wonder that I have? Like, oh yeah, that, you know, that time I went camping and, you know, I saw the stars or the time, you know, that, right, we made pottery. Even just presencing wonder you can notice that your body sort of shifts and you feel more calm, you feel more open, you feel more inspired. And so, yeah, I feel like just being in the conversation and being on the lookout and like I say, putting on your wonder goggles and even just doing a lap around your your neighborhood, like in between Zoom calls can be life-shifting and then it becomes a habit. And then suddenly you're like me and you're like, pulling the car over regularly. My children will probably remember this for the rest of the life. And I'm like, oh my God, look at the clouds. There's a, you know, there's a heart in the clouds. And there's like something going on with the sky that like I have to photograph. And my kids are like, oh my God, here she goes again. But yeah, I think that we have to unlearn some things and then sort of rewire and create some new practices and habits if we want our view of the world to change. And of course, that view that changes is going to infiltrate into our artwork, into our art practice, into our routines. It just will be a ripple effect. And so I think that it's worth definitely seeking out and tapping into. And so as we close here, if people are really wanting to get your book or just follow along on your journey, I would love for you to share where they can find you online. 
Yeah, thank you. Everything is on my website. So andreashear.com, A-N-D-R-E-A-S-C-H-E-R.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart and being vulnerable and creating this beautiful book that we can start to be more intentional about chasing wonder in our lives. Uh, Thank you, Shirley. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. Wonder was defined as a wide-eyed delight experienced when encountering something new, beautiful, or awe-inspiring. Counterfeit joys referred to the things we settle for that we think will bring us joy, but ultimately do not nourish or fulfill us. Becoming a wonder seeker involves intentional practices and requires training our brains to shift our focus from negativity to noticing the beauty in the world around us. Wonder seeking is not about embracing a constant state of positivity or living in a fantasy world, but rather it is an intentional state of being open, curious, and grateful. Wonder can have profound effects on our well-being, such as calming our nervous systems, increasing resilience, transforming our perception of the world, and lead to a more joyful way of living. Embracing wonder can make us more delightful individuals and also allow us to experience the world in a way that not everyone does. And this inevitably will be contagious to those around you. Two ways to experience wonder that were mentioned was going on a wonder date and engineering wonder by intentionally creating experiences. And lastly, the book that Andrea has written is called Wonder Seeker, 52 Ways to Wake Up Your Creativity and Find Your Joy. Thanks again for listening to the Tillage Podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode. 